Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Girl Boss Radio from Panoply. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder of NastyGal.com, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Girl Boss, and the author of Nasty Galaxy, my book that comes out October 4th, which you can pre-order today at NastyGal.com slash book or anywhere books are sold. On this podcast, I interview a different woman who's carved out an interesting path for herself. We trace her from her first job to how she got to where she is today to extract solid advice for you, our listeners, who are doing the same with your lives. To stay in touch with all things Girlboss, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Girlboss. We just hit 100,000 followers. You can sign up for our newsletter, Girlboss Diary, by going to girlboss.com, and you can follow me at Sophia Amoruso, Sophia with a P-H, A-M-O-R-U-S-O, on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope Girlboss Radio helps you to achieve your goals or at the very least provides inspiration for your day. So please help us achieve our goals. This podcast is less than a year old. We've been in the top 10 on iTunes. We've been in the top 50. Generally, we're in the top 100, which for a new podcast is really cool. And the audience keeps growing thanks to you, our listeners. Thank you so much. So please help us continue to rise up the ranks and be visible in iTunes, subscribe to us in iTunes, and tweet us, Instagram, tell your friends, shout Girlboss Radio from the rooftops. We really appreciate it. And now for some Girlboss moments. Girlboss moments are a time in your week where you feel like you're living your life deliberately. It's nice to call them out. It's like a shout out to yourself that we shout out back to you to remind you that even the small things really matter. You can hashtag Girlboss Moment on Instagram or Twitter, and we will find it and we will read it. Um, also, it is not a Girlboss Moment to listen to Girlboss Radio or read Girlboss. It has to be something that is yours, okay? Thanks. Susanna at Susanna Ray says, submitted my master's dissertation at LSE, moving back to the U.S. next Wednesday for a new job. I've never been more proud. Oh my gosh. I'm so proud of you. I've never done a dissertation. I guess I wrote a book, but dissertation is very serious. Congratulations. Brittany Dory Wilson at Brittany Dory says, delivered my final pitch for my business idea in my finance class and nailed it. So cool. That's so cool, Brittany. Helen at Gappy Gobs says, turning down paid overtime at my day job because I got my own business to run. So cool. Lorna Hart at Lorna20 says, moved across the country from SF to Boston by myself for a new badass job. Wow. That's ballsy. Or vagina-y? I don't really know how it works. Kitty Florido I, at iKitty says, got a third call this month where I'm asked by friends how to get things rolling when opening their own business. Wow, you're, your own, you're a mentor. That's so cool. Our next guest literally blazes the trail every day. Melissa Biggs Bradley has traveled to over 100 countries in her life, lived in France and Australia, speaks fluent French, and has favorite neighborhood shops and restaurants on six continents. She thinks travel broadens our vision and enlarges our soul, which is why she started Indigari, a boutique travel agency and content site that gives passionate travelers the information and tools that will enable them to discover authentic experiences. 
For more than a decade, Melissa served as the travel editor at Town & Country, and in 2003, she launched Town & Country Travel Magazine, which, under her editorship, was nominated for a National Magazine Award for General Excellence by the American Society of Magazine Editors. We're so happy Melissa could take a break from her work and travels to sit with us in the Nasty Gal Studios today. Melissa, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's been a long time coming. Yeah, we've never had anyone in the travel industry on this podcast. And I guess I don't really talk about travel that much. Maybe it's because I feel ashamed that I'm not working when I'm traveling. But I really love traveling. And um, yeah, I'm excited to get into this with you. But there should be no shame in travel, though, because I'm convinced... (sighs) The travel helps you grow and see and do what you do. You have to kind of leave and come back with a different perspective. It's so true. It's part of your mental health and running a business. You got to travel. Some of the biggest realizations I think I ever made were while I was traveling. Yeah. It really, it really does give you like physical and literal perspective. Yeah. But, um, so we start this every episode of this podcast with the same question and, I know you had like an official first job, but I'm curious if you had like a like a shitty job, like in high school or anything like that. That's where I want to start. What your real first job was? I had lots of really shitty jobs. My parents do not believe that you should sit around um, in the summer. So when school ended, it was like, okay, if you're not going to camp and learning something, uh-huh. you got to get a job. So I did. Everything from babysitting to waitressing to working in clothing stores to... Um, Did I you mean, have a favorite shitty job and a least favorite shitty job? Least favorite was probably housekeeping. <laughs> um, yeah. Like cleaning people's houses I could was see pretty that. bad. Was there a job, an early job that you had that you feel like you learned something that you've taken on that you carry with you today? Yeah, I feel like probably from every single job, and I had all sorts of, I mean, I wanted to be in journalism. I knew that early. I took a lot of jobs that other people probably wouldn't take just to get the experience writing stuff. And I learned something from all of them. I mean, a lot of them was just being resourceful and being able to get information. My first job out of college was as a fact checker for a magazine called European Travel and Life that doesn't exist anymore. But as a fact checker back then, this was before there was the internet, I would get be given an article and it could be an article on like the oldest cheesemaker in Greece mm-hmm. or, you know, the hat maker to the queen of England or something. And you would have to go through and highlight every single fact in the article. And then on the side, write in the source that you would verified it by. Mm-hmm. And some of that was through books. Most of it was getting on the phone and calling people and you have to like call crazy things and say, you know, do you really have a goat named Sophocles and is that <laughs> the best cheese that you, in your herd? Amazing. Um, and, and that in some ways taught me how to be really resourceful and persistent and persuasive with total strangers. But it also made me really appreciate specificity and respecting real hard information. Yeah. And there's so much on the internet now that is just BS that's mm-hmm. never been vetted. And and I feel really strongly that that's one of the things that sort of in my business set us apart was we really care that it's true. Yeah. I feel like fact-checking has become like an ancient yeah. art or something. I think only maybe The New Yorker. And Vanity Fair still do Even it. like three years ago, I was getting like fact check emails for like press stuff that I was doing. And now they'll just print anything. They're like, this is the company's revenue. We made it up. And yeah. you're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> whatever. 
<laughs> and it's it's kind of shocking if you're on the other end of it and there is no fact checking. It really is. It really, really is. Um, do you have any early travel memories? Like, how did you get into travel? Was it just the fact that you were fact checking for a travel magazine? <laughs> or... Was it a real genuine interest of yours? Well, I actually think in some ways I was born into it. My mom's Australian. Oh, wow. And she had left um, Sydney at 16 to become a ballerina in the Royal Ballet of England and met my dad when she was in London and then moved to America. But what that meant was at you know pretty young age, we flew from New York to Australia to see my grandparents, which back then was like five or six flights wow. in coach. I remember my sister, one of my sisters and I like taking turns sleeping on the floor and like taking the two seats. Mm -hmm. um, so we had this kind of like bunk bed on the plane. So, I mean, I've been traveling because of that for a really long time. And I did just feel like I learned so much whenever I was going and meeting new people and thinking about the world differently. And I just loved it. I got totally addicted. I went in high school and lived in France for a year with a French family. Nice. Uh, and do you speak French? Do you speak yeah. different languages? Well, I speak only French because I did okay. that in high school and then I spent a year in college okay. doing the same thing. Oui. Um, <laughs> the extent of my and I could only learn it by do by living there and being forced to like get my. I'm meals sure. Were they mad? Were, were they nice to you there? They were really nice to me, but I, I was like having a you know a, a very stupid person around for a long time. Yeah, it took me a long time. If you try, I think they're nice to you. If you yeah. don't try, they'll they'll like spit on you. Yeah. So then you worked at Town and Country Magazine, and you worked there for ten years. I worked there for 12 years. I was hired as the travel editor. And I remember going into the job. And in some ways, I do think the best way to go into a job is when you don't need a job. So I was interviewed and I just started someplace else. And I liked my job. I had a fair amount of authority at this other small magazine. So I really wasn't looking to change. But the editor in chief said, well, what if we gave you the job of being the travel editor and we sent you around the world and you had to like come back and tell me like what it means that you know, the fashion in St. Bart's this, um, you know, this winter is X. Or, and I was like, that sounds like okay. kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay, I'll do that. So it was an amazing job. And I'd kind of written about everything under the sun before that just to work anywhere. Um, and that was sort of, wow, I didn't even know I had this dream. So I'd started as a travel editor and then I never got rid of that job, but then I became the features editor and then I started their weddings magazine and then I started their travel magazine. Um, so my job kept growing, which is why I stayed there. And so I was there for 12 years. Wow. And at what point did you decide to leave? I became really obsessed with the internet and with what I felt we weren't doing for travelers. So in print, it was me kind of giving or our freelancers giving people advice. And a lot of the time, the best stuff that made it into print was, um, you know, the, the most obvious stuff and the really small, cool details like this little hat maker down a small street in Venice was cut out because we just didn't have the space and mm -hmm. they were never going to be an advertiser. And I thought, well, that's the stuff that's really hard. It's easy yeah. to figure out the hotel. It's not easy to figure out the coolest place to go for a cooking class or the guide who's going to take you on a bike tour and, and all that kind of stuff. So I really want to do something with the internet. They were not interested in going into digital. That was back when print was the king and digital mm -hmm. was this weird, like, new thing and nobody knew if you could make money off of mm -hmm. it. So I thought, you know, I want to have a conversation. I know that my travelers, the, my readers, have all this information to share. And there's, you know, TripAdvisor is 
it's unvetted, it's too big, it's too unwieldy. And I thought if I could start a conversation between the experts and the travelers to really make amazing trips together, we'd have this collective intelligence that would be really different. First, just tell us, it's called Indigari. Yeah. And that means what in Latin? Discover or seek out. Pretty cool. And tell us about it and and tell me about the community element and how you're blending content and a service. So I like to think of it, it's a travel company that empowers travelers to make life-changing trips. Um, you know, they're really looking for something that is going to inspire them in a deep and profound way. And we do that through inspirational articles. So the content is, you know, very varied, all first person, very personal. And then we combine that with a commerce, which is a boutique travel agency. And that wasn't originally part of my plan. Originally, we were going to have, you know, this forum so the travelers could ask each other questions, they could read the content. And that's how we started the business. And about three months into launching, the phone started ringing and people were saying, well, all this content's great. I can read incredible things about what to do in Venice. But can you just help me plan my trip? Because I'm confused. I don't, even though you've given me all this information, I don't know how to approach it. Mm-hmm. And I was really reluctant originally to do that. I thought I know how to be a journalist. I don't know how to be in the service business. But I'm a journalist and I'll figure out a great travel agent to connect these people with. And what I realized was the individualized travel agents had all gone out of business because of the online travel agencies. Mm -hmm. And so that's why people had this huge void. And so I said, okay, well, we'll just start to do this for a few people. We won't advertise it because I don't want to do anything unless I can do it really well. But the people who call and ask, we'll we'll help them because we're journalists and we care and we can make this happen. And once we started doing that, the community really became involved. And it wasn't because, I mean, in a way, it was because when it was just, Sophia, you found some really cool ice cream shop in Paris. Are you going to actually log onto the website and post it on it? Yeah, you, you'd you like to, but you don't have time. Mm-hmm. Once you're working with us and we've planned your whole trip to Paris and there were, you know, you really loved one small restaurant and you really loved one small hotel, but another hotel we sent you to was a little bit too corporate and big. Mm-hmm. You're going to call and tell your person who you work with, this is what I liked and this is what I didn't because you want them to do your next trip perfectly. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with like the Yelps and the trip advisors of the world is that everybody's going on there. So then everybody's just going to the places that are being reviewed and to have a boutique experience and know that something's been vetted by people who have an appetite for things maybe lesser known is really cool because yeah. there's, you know, there's the lonely planets of the world if you want to go bring a backpack. And then there's like, you know, the Zagat. I don't even know actually what I'm talking about, but there's very little out there, I think, if you do want um, a special experience and to find that cheese maker in, yeah. in Greece, because I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> um, so you started the company 10 years ago now, and you've raised money from investors. When did that happen? Like, how did you start the company? What were the first things that you did? Okay. Well, I raised money from investors bef- when I started, before okay. I started. So I oh. had this theory that there would be people who would pay if they could have an incredible experience yeah. and that we could save them time and money by really doing all the research and that they would be willing to pay a price because their vacation was so important to them. They couldn't risk wasting the one week they had with their family and getting Mm -hmm, it wrong. mm -hmm. So I went out to a handful of different 
individuals who I thought would understand the concept. And I said, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. This is my background. I really know the travel industry. I really believe I know this consumer and think they're going to want this. And I basically got a handful of individuals who said, you know what, I would use that. I believe in this concept. And so I was back, basically, it was a friends and family round. Oh, nice. And that started us off. Um, and then, you know, as you know, it's like you're terrified that you're going to run through uh-huh. everything. And and we tweaked our model because originally the revenue model was all going to be subscription-based. And you know, we had memberships because, to your point about TripAdvisor, the idea was if you really care about it, you're going to pay something for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have a vetted community. It's not going to be just anybody. It's going to be people who are committed to travel and great experiences. So they'll pay something for it. And there'll be different levels of membership. And the subscription stuff, it took a long time. And to build. To build yeah. and to become, you know, our overhead was increasing as we were hiring more people. And as people said, would you start planning my trips for us? We said, you know, originally, well, we don't know if we want to do that. And then we were doing it for people on the side who called and said, okay, fine, we'll get you the right person. And I'll never forget one day, one of the people that we referred, um, it was a China partner of mine who does incredible trips in China, and we referred a client to them, and they called and they said, okay, where do you want us to send your check? And I said, what do you mean? And they said, well, you get a commission on referring people to us. And we had a hotel so a client called and said, I can't get into this hotel over Christmas. And I called and, you know, I said, please, can you take these people? And they did the same thing. They said, okay, well, where do you want us to send your commission check? And I said, what, what do you mean a commission check? Thank you. And that's now 80% of our revenue comes wow. from hotel commissions. So people wow. don't realize that a travel agent basically gets a wholesale price from the hotel. Oh, what? Yes. And so I didn't know that nobody gets I didn't know this. And I've been a travel editor major double dipping. Well, what's interesting, that's why it's so cheap to book because I work with a travel agent and it's really way less expensive than you'd think to book something through a travel agent. And those travel agents get the upgrades. They get the free breakfast. They get all this special stuff. Free breakfast is my favorite. And they're never getting, they're never charging you more for the room than no, you would pay yourself. No. They're just getting all this extra stuff because mm. it's a commission based system. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's, but there's also different networks in the travel agency. Like yep. there's the such and such network, which gives you access to like certain things in hotels and whatever else. Like what does that even mean? Cause I've heard about that just through my own travel agency and oh, they're not part of that thing. And what? Is that okay? So there's basically <laughs> what it really is is people teaming up for volume to get these relationships. So when I first started, I could not, as a like a one person or you know small team travel agency, could not have gotten you all those extra benefits. Four Seasons, for instance, or Ritz Carlton, they have preferred programs mm-hmm. where they only pick 50 travel agencies in the world who they give all these upgrades and free breakfasts and everything to. They pick those people based on how many beds they're, how many heads they're putting into beds and how valuable that customer is to them, how much you're spending in the spa or the restaurant. So to get, for a small agency to get those things, they need to join an association. Mm. So they get the bigger leverage. So we now are members of all those things directly. Mm -hmm. But originally when we started out, you know, you wanted to join an association to get those. What did you have to do to establish the credibility as a business to join those associations? And did it feel a little bit like you were gaming the system? 
I didn't feel like you were gaming the system because it was like, this is just a great Because you're thing actually you legitimate. Well, and, <laughs> and it was like, this is a great thing to be able to give to our yeah. clients. What you had to convince them was that you had clients. Uh-huh. And we were able to do that basically because they realized pretty early on from the content, we were attracting amazing clients. So they could look at what we were, you know, okay, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so are coming in. And that's one of the things I love about the business is when you go back to the community idea, an integrated client is part of this whole community. It's everybody who's been to the hotel before and everybody who's coming after. So you don't check in as Sophia. You check in as, wow, Sophia, who is part of this club of travelers that includes this celebrity or this, you know, mm-hmm. really wealthy guy who took the presidential suite or, and all of a sudden it's like you have the power of this community behind you. That's amazing. And we had that pretty early on. Yeah. Wow. So, You started your business without any knowledge of, I mean, you understood travel and editorial, but, you know, the travel industry and the service of booking travel was a whole new thing for you. And for me, starting business, I was really naive about what I was doing. Do you feel like not knowing things gives you the opportunity to create something new? How do you feel like not knowing has benefited you in your career? I think my being outside the industry was the only reason that I could have created what we've created because anybody who'd been in the travel agency business understood that it worked a certain way, which was that each travel agent was basically an independent contractor and they, like a real estate agent, they eat what they kill and they don't share their information. And as soon as I learned that, I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to someone who's actually been to the place that I'm planning a trip. And so I just said, we're going to hire everybody as staff. We're going to share all of our information. We're going to collaborate. We're going to share our clients. So if somebody comes in and wants to go to Bhutan or Brazil or Buffalo, and I've never been, I'm going to put them on the phone with a person who's been, and we're going to give them the best possible service. Nobody else in the industry would ever do that, Uh will ever do that, because... That's not how they think it's supposed to be done. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's so many industries that are just legacy based that have not changed in so long. And I mean, look at like Harry's razors. I mean, they're like making razors or I don't know. There's so much, there's so many old school kind of ways of doing things and it doesn't really, I mean, you have to be pretty bold to think outside of that, but there's so much left to disrupt. Luxury is such a polarizing word, and I'm a Taurus, so I've been told that I just like to touch really nice things just naturally, and so I think it's less about the price of something than it is about just it being like tactile and or comfortable, whatever it is, and ultimately those things end up costing more. It's unfortunate, but that's how the world works. You know, Indigari is considered a luxury boutique travel agency community publication in many ways. How do you describe luxury? Well, I'm a tourist too. Oh, cool. And when's your birthday? May 3rd. I'm 420. Um, and I actually think in a way, the tourist is a great way to think about luxury because I do think we love things and things that make us feel good, but I don't think it has to do with money because we're earthy sign. It's a really mm-hmm. earthy sign. Mm-hmm. So to it's me, a good excuse. <laughs> to me, luxury is not about the price so much as how something makes you feel. And so often that is the connectedness of the people behind it. So mm-hmm. that the guy who's Story. making incredible cheese doesn't have to be expensive, but if he's really doing it with his heart and you don't really, I don't care what the table looks like. If the, someone really cares about what he's doing, 
to me, it's not price. It's sort of the passion and the care that, that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, th- that can be a great fancy hotel, but sometimes it's something that's just got an incredible view and it's simple and they know what you don't need to add. Mm-hmm. What is the most simple, beautiful hotel that someone can stay at? Like simple, not minimal, more like rustic and like pared down, but like grand. Like that sounds like my dream. Like what, where does that exist? I feel like there's been places that they were like that in the beginning and then they got a bunch of press and then they're like, it's overrun, like places in Tulum, you know? So it's like, where can I go and still have that experience? There definitely are still some. There's one that when you describe it that comes to mind, which is in Santorini in Greece, that is this, and it has been photographed a ton because it's just so beautiful, but it was in these old caves on the cliffs. And there, it's just whitewashed. There's no glass. On, What's you know, it called? It's called Perivalos. Okay. I've walked by it. I stayed at Katakias. Katakias, yeah. It's pretty. It's a little more, it's a little like ns, ns by the pool, yeah. which I was like, whatever, but the room is beautiful. Sandrine yeah. is amazing. Yeah. But that's know. kind of what I think. There's one in Portugal in this place called Comporto now that's called okay. the Sublime, and it has sand floors oh my god it's on the beach but you how do you have sex like what is happening no, no you have a bed okay it's just that you put your like when you get out of bed you put your feet on the sand but then you'll get sand in the bed and then you get sand in your vagina <laughs> i don't know i'll i get sand in my vagina anyway just driving to work so um you go the i'm kidding i'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> um so our listeners have a different range of incomes. I think a lot of our listeners are building. They're still in the build. They're figuring out what they want to do or they're in it. And advice from people like you is so huge. Um, for someone on a little bit of a budget, where would you say, you know, at least in the States or even internationally, like what is like a reasonable place to go right now on a budget? I think there's so many places. I mean, first of all, if you're, when I'm on a budget, I would say, in many ways, the hotel is the least important part uh-huh. of what I want to spend because yeah. you're sleeping, you exactly. know. And especially if you pick a place where, like, to me, cities are amazing for people on a budget because mm-hmm. so much of what makes a city amazing, whether it's Paris or Nashville or L.A., is free. I mean, you you know, you come to L.A., it doesn't matter where you stay. You can enjoy the beach. You can go to amazing restaurants. You can explore Santa Monica. You can explore museums. I mean, like the Broad Museum, which I went to yesterday, is mm. totally free. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's so much great stuff in cities that don't cost anything. Yeah. You know, renting a bike and, you know, exploring a, a totally different place. I think it's the attitude of exploration mm-hmm. that you bring. And that doesn't have to be about spending a lot of money. I mean, it's hard to find a great beach vacation where it doesn't matter where you stay because very often that, that, it's like overrun with yeah. like, yeah, loud families or weird cruise ship food or, yeah. you well, know, you still want to get your like green juice maybe. And I also think there's, you know, it's that counterintuitive thing of traveling when it's off season. So, you know, going to Europe in the winter is half price hmm. or more than going in the summer. And there are so many places, you know, I think that, you you know, the weather might not be absolutely perfect, but off season and in lots of beautiful places, Mexico in the summer, the Caribbean in the summer is really cheap. Really? Yeah. And what places for like the jet set are trending? You know, it went from like Tulum to Jose Ignacio. Yeah. But where, what do you see trending? Cro- I would say Croatia is kind of like the next Ibiza. Um, where in Croatia? Jet set. 
Ideally, you spend time on a bunch of different islands. So you go to Dubrovnik where they film Game of Thrones and Split, which is a really cool city. But then these little, there are ferries that you can go to some of these outer islands that are small, beautiful little islands wow. like Korchula and Var. I think those are, I mean, that's become really popular. And there are beach clubs that are sort of like what they mm-hmm. have in Ibiza. Um, Cuba obviously is yeah. super popular right now. And I'm actually think that it's, it's almost at the worst time to go is now because mm-hmm. it's become so overcrowded and the government is charging huge amounts of, um, tariffs on top of all the hotel rooms. So it's wow. expensive wow. and crowded. So that's one that I actually think people shouldn't be flocking to. Interesting. But, um, I mean, I was, I love Nashville. I love a lot of the smaller oh. cities in, in the States. I yeah. think are great. I just went to Detroit and I kind of loved it. I That's mean, where I want to go next. I'm it's pretty go. cool. I mean, we went to the Motown Museum. It just feels like it got left behind a little bit. It feels very apocalyptic. And there's something super beautiful about yeah. that. And there's old factories like auto making plants and things like that that you can, that are abandoned that you can totally access. I don't know if it's legal or not, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, you have a client base with really high taste and probably really high demands. And it's an internet-based business, but obviously it has to be high touch. How do you balance that and what kind of crazy mishaps have happened in your experience? That That's the part that people kind of think like, oh, you have such a glamorous job and they don't realize, okay, you got somebody who's screaming their head off at somebody who works for you who just can't take it anymore and you got to get on the phone with someone. And a lot of the time it's, I mean, we've had crazy things happen. We had a, a hotel burn down oh my in, God. like on Christmas Eve with nobody died. People. Right? No, no. But like, you know, the guest calls and like, um, we can't go to our hotel. It's burned down. Oh um, or, you know, a, a lot of it's the more mundane things where you have people who didn't get to the airport and didn't realize that their passport was expired and they're about to, you know, lose going on this incredible safari. And how do you get them a passport in, you know, five minutes? What? You um, can do that? No, you can do it in 24 hours. But you yeah. can't do it in five minutes. Okay. Um, and <laughs> so we, the, there's sort of those crises or the, you know, the airlines, you know, Delta had that oh massive God, outage a couple of days ago. And we had a family going for, you know, this once in a lifetime safari and they missed, you know, two days of their trip oh. because you just, you know, Delta shut down and we couldn't get them there. That's awful. Do so, you have a favorite airline? Um, I love a lot of the, um, Asian carriers like Cathay and Singapore, hmm. where you have like a pod and Emirates. Cool. Those are kind of amazing. But I also like think Air France does actually a really good job. Do you guys book economy for people? We book economy. We book everything. Cool. Um, JetBlue. Yeah, I love JetBlue. I like the mint now. Yeah. It's like so much cheaper than Virgin. It's, it's crazy. So good. And it's so much better. What is your routine like? You know, how does your day start? You live in New York City. You're born and raised in New York City, right? Yeah. What is your routine like? When do you get into the office? How do you organize yourself? What is your like self-care? Do you, you know, do things that nourish you, you yeah, know, beyond I, your work? To the routine question, I get up and I have decaf coffee. I did a ashram boot camp like five years ago where you had to give up alcohol and caffeine and sugar. And Where'd you else. go? I went to the ranch at Live Oak. Okay, I've been there. <laughs> so hard. But <laughs> yeah. but this was like six years ago, and I uh-huh. never went back to caffeine because I realized uh-huh. I was a much happier, more balanced person wow. without caffeine. So I have my decaf. And I meditate every morning without fail. Wow. Um, do you do like TM? Do you have like a... No, I will tell you my little secret. I was turned on to Deepak Chopra's oh, yeah. 21 Day no, Meditation No, people love challenge. that. 
I love them. Yeah. I love them. And so I always meditate. And then, you what know. What does meditation do for you? For me, it's like someone kind of brings you down to a lower heart rate and sets you, sets me off on the day at a place of total calm. That's great. So nothing else really rattles you too much. Wow. I love it. Cool. I really do. Do you have any productivity hacks, apps that you use to keep yourself organized? Um, anything that allows you to multitask, just like secrets of a, of a highly successful woman? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I use Evernote, but, I, and I'm a huge reader of all of those kinds of books. Like yeah. I just read Smarter, Better, Faster by okay. Charles Duhigg. Uh-huh. I don't know if you read that. I really love lists. So I have my like weekly lists, my monthly lists, my daily lists. Totally. I feel like there's a learning curve for Evernote. Did you feel that when you started it or there's so much functionality? I don't use any of the functionality. I just oh. make lists. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> That's all I do. Cool. Genius. <laughs> um, but that really helps me. And, and I do walk a lot. Um, as my exercise, I try and, you know, walk four or five times a week. Cool. You, I'm sure you walk a ton in New York. Yeah. I mean, in general, what's your proudest moment? One of my, I mean, I, I have like sort of those obvious ones where we were nominated when I was at Town of Country Travel, we were nominated for an ASME award, which is the big sort of like the Oscar of magazines. And that was pretty exciting. Um, that was our first year. But I think one of those moments that really made me realize like I had built a business was our first two offices were in these creepy kind of walk-ups in New York, really low rents. They were sort of like one-bedroom apartments that we turned into an office, and then we moved into a two-bedroom on the same, in the same building, and we had like these neighbors who got high every day at lunch, oh and um, so our people who would come and visit would like wonder what's going on in our office, and we finally got to a point where we actually had to move into a proper office building, and I thought, you know, this is just bizarre that we're really doing this, and the first day we moved in, one of the girls who worked for me said, oh, my God, when I was a little girl, I dreamed that I would live in New York and work in an office like this. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, my God, okay, I've actually so built cool. a business that somebody wants to work at. Created something. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that ever intimidating? You know, I mean, you have a team of how many people today? We're about 52. Do you consider yourself an introvert, extrovert? I mean, obviously, you're in a position where you're leading people. How have you kind of grown into that and... Yeah, it's a I, lot of questions. Um, there's a book that I have almost all of my staff read. I'm really geeky, and we have everybody read a lot of books. But one is called To Sell as Human. I don't know if you've ever read it mm-hmm. by this guy, Daniel Pink. And he actually he talks about how in today's world with such a service economy and information economy that almost everybody's a salesperson, whether they know it or not. Yeah. And he has in the book a test that basically show, puts you on a scale of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert or what he calls an ambivert. Mm. And I definitely think I'm an ambivert because there's parts of me that are very extroverted, but I desperately need my alone time, which is part of the meditation. Mm-hmm. And so I think I'm an ambivert. Cool. We haven't used that word in this podcast. That's cool. I feel like I'm an introvert who's becoming an ambivert. I mean, I'm a host, right? Like I, I don't know. I'm like in front of things. I, when you start a business, you're very much behind things. And that was, was very comfortable behind a computer and then got kind of, I wrote a book and put myself, whatever. Anyway, it's a totally new world. Um, and it's fun to feel yourself like stretch and grow. And even when your nature may not be to, um, 
constantly talk and talk about yourself and whatever I end up doing or we're doing on this podcast. It, I don't know. But you're a connector. I am. You know, I connected things in my head and with the business and built it just very much um, on a smaller s- scale and to connect all of the amazing women that I've met along the way and even more. I mean, today's the first day that we met and there's been many women on the podcast who I'd met for the first time, but also so many women I've had the pleasure of meeting through, um, you know, different dinners or conferences or introductions from people who thought we might, you know, and there's never really any kind of formal thing that we're doing together. The podcast is a little more formal, but to have this network of incredible women and to be able to bank that in this place where everyone can listen to it feels like a really special thing to do. Anyway, I'm not yeah. trying to pat myself on the back. It's a no, it's, it's a awesome. pleasure. It's a service. Okay. If you could power brunch with any woman, I guess dead or alive, who would it be? Neither dead or alive, actually. Ooh. I well, I mean, there are lots of people who are dead who have so she's undead. Like, well, I kind of have a girl crush right now. I mean, I have lots of girl heroes. Like I uh-huh. love like Joni Mitchell and. You know, the explorers like Freya Stark and Gertrude Bell and Isaac Din and Amelia Earhart, all these people who are super cool. But I have a girl crush kind of right now on the fictional person. <laughs> have you ever watched Nashville? I haven't. So Raina James, who's played by Connie Britton, is this country singer, entrepreneur, mom, visionary, mentor. She's all of these women sort of wrapped up in one, uh-huh. but she's totally flawed and human and vulnerable. And I just think her message is really amazing. That's so cool. I so know. I don't know if that's a fi- if I can. That's so great. Power brunch with a fictional character. Oh my but god! And well, something I ask of all of our guests is what your girl boss moment was. And so our listeners tweet and Instagram in their hashtag girl boss moment which is the time in your week where you felt like you were living your life deliberately, that your life wasn't running you. That's very easy to happen when you're busy, um, when you have a lot of commitments. And so what would you say, Melissa, your girl boss moment this past week or so has been? Okay. I had a crazy girl boss moment. Yeah. I was on the way to LA to come out here on Monday morning and my flight was delayed because there was this chaos with Delta, with JFK at the airport. So I'm going through security and I hear this person say, Oh, yes, that's Melissa Bradley. And I turn around and it was the woman who was the chairman of Hearst magazines when I was there. Her name's Kathy Black and she is a powerhouse. She ran Gannett right when they started USA Today and then she ran uh, Hearst magazines when they launched the O magazine wow. and she was on the board of IBM and Coca-Cola total powerhouse and the two of us were stuck in the Delta lounge for an hour and a half waiting for our flights and she we sat down she said you know come let's sit down in the lounge let's talk I want to hear about what you're doing and we talked about the business and she's you know a great advisor to entrepreneurs and she was you know really interesting and insightful and at the end of the conversation she said to me aren't you so glad that you're doing what you're doing? And I said, yes, I'm, I love it. It's completely fascinating and it's journalism plus it's business. And I really believe that we're having this huge impact on people's lives. But at the same time in my head, I was thinking, okay, this is so surreal because the only other time I'd sat across the table from her was the day that I'd resigned. And it was mm-hmm. almost exactly 10 years earlier. Wow. And I had 
resigned to my boss, and Kathy was her boss, and Kathy called me and she said, you know, come down, I want to talk to you. And we sat down and she said, you know, are you really sure that you want to resign? Because I think you could become, you know, the editor of Town & Country or one of our other titles. You're really one of our rising stars. Do you really want to do this? And, you know, here we're sitting in this incredible, like, Sir Norman Foster tower that she had built, built off of print. And I'm thinking, like, uh, you know, obviously this is huge, but no, I'm leaving. I'm resigning. I'm in love with the Internet. I want to do something <laughs> different. I need I need more flexibility with my family, which I didn't have um, as much when I was there. And it was just such a weird thing that exactly 10 years later, here I am, and the two of us wow. are talking about how print has changed and digital that is That's some really travel cool. karma. I would say that Delta melting down only benefits someone in your position who's put so much into the travel industry. So it's and perfect. The it's crazy so perfect. thing, too, is it's like I've never met anyone in an airport. Like I, you always hear these stories no. about people who like sit next to someone and they fall in love or they get a job. I do not meet people I'm on like, airports or in planes. <laughs> and, and, of course, this makes it even more girl boss. I've gotten up super early, and because I never see anyone I know in an airline, it's not like I had, like, put on makeup. I was wearing my glasses, which I never wear. And so here I, like, felt like I looked horrible, and I'm having this huge girl boss moment, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the way it goes. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. That was an amazing girl boss moment. <laughs> Where can our listeners find you and Indigari? They can go online, www.indigari.com. Um, and I-N-D- I-N-D-A-G-A-R-E dot com. Cool. All right. Thank you. That was another episode of Girl Boss Radio. We will be back next week, so please tune in and be sure to subscribe. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Emily Odelia Rubin, Kristen Meinzer, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. We couldn't do this without you. Thanks also to the band Phases for our theme song and to Same Animal for our interstitial jam. I'm Sophia Amoruso. I'll talk to you next week.